Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 99. Yeah, 99. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a successful physician. Session 99. That's crazy. We're one away from 100 episodes. Now, it's not quite a two-year anniversary. Obviously, there's 52 weeks in a year, so 104 episodes will be our two-year official anniversary. But there's just something about the number 100. I want to thank everybody for being here today, especially my lovely co-host, Allison Gray. Hello. If you're listening to us for the first time, you have a lot of catching up to do. Almost two years worth of podcasts to go listen to right now. Ready, go. You can subscribe to us, get our shows for free, downloaded to your phone, to your computer, magically overnight on Wednesday or during the day Wednesday when we release them. You can go subscribe for free in iTunes at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. You can listen on Stitcher, which is medicalschoolhq.net slash Stitcher. And you can listen on SoundCloud. We're, we're slowly getting all of our content up into SoundCloud as well for those of you that like SoundCloud. But today, we're going to talk about an email that came in and, and asked about family life and being a physician. And we've covered this topic a little bit with different guests, but Allison and I are going to share our stories and, and our thoughts on having a family and being a physician. And we're still getting used to this whole parenting game and working as physicians. And so we're going to share our thoughts on the whole process and, and what it's like. 
But first, I want to remind you, if you're getting ready to take the MCAT, go to freemcatgift.com. Again, that's freemcatgift.com and download our 30-plus page report all about tips and tricks and things that you might not think about on how to maximize your score on the MCAT. Now I'm going to read this email, and Alice and I will talk about it. So it came from Thomas, who said the only thing he's ever wanted to do is be a physician. Uh, it sounds like he's a non-traditional student because uh, he's saying he's getting older. Hopefully he's not just talking about like being a junior and in, in undergrad. But he says, my question is, how do you balance such an incredible workload with a family life, especially with a newborn? He's obviously listened to some of our shows. How uh, Have you had any struggles with this? Is there any one specialty that is more lax or quote-unquote family-friendly than another? So, let's tackle this, Allison. Mm-hmm. How you doing, by the way? I'm good. I, I didn't ask you how I'm you're doing. I'm doing well, rather. Thank you. you how don't. are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you. You didn't get to say hello, everybody. Yeah, well, I try to mix it up. Oh, okay. Good. Sometimes I just say hello. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I, I thought we'd tackle this from a kind of systematic standpoint about each step of the process and what it's like to have family at each step. Obviously, we didn't have a child until we were attendings, basically. So we we are kind of out of the training world. But we can talk about workloads and what the time commitments were like. And and we saw friends go through the process with family. Mm -hmm. And so we can kind of talk to each one of those. And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, and it's great because then if you are at one stage of the process and maybe not as interested in hearing about another stage, you can tune in and we'll go very systematically, chronologically chronologically so obviously the first step of the game is the pre-med world and we can talk non-traditional as well because you're technically a pre-med as a non-traditional uh and, and you're getting your your credits just as as a traditional student was maybe a little bit slower maybe in a little bit of a different environment but in your mind when when you were going through the pre-med process what kind of time commitment was school for you? And and thinking back, could you imagine or did you know anybody that had children at that point? Good question. Well, and our experiences and stories and reflections are going to be so different because I was at a school in Canada, you were at a school in the U.S., which are just by nature two very different universities. And um, yeah, so it'll just be different. So that's good. So I'm going first. Yeah. All right, let's see. So for starters, I started college or university when I was 17. Um, I was at the, I was really ready for school when I was four. So (laughs) (laughs) no, there's this picture of me uh, when we were, this is just kind of a cute story. When uh, we were in school uh, and we were five years old, this was kindergarten, I think, or it might've been first grade. Anyway, the point is we had to, we had a, a picture where we held, held up a little sign saying something that we loved. We just had to pick something that we loved and write it down and hold up a sign. So there's a picture of me. All- Wait, I, I want to, like most kids maybe had like a puppy or a kitten or their mommy or dad or brother mm-hmm. or sister. Right. 
in mindset i love school <laughs> she's a neurologist people yep yeah, yep yeah, yeah. so but no it's true so in my town growing up i grew up in brookline in massachusetts uh yay brookline love that town um we the the school regulations were that if you were turning five by I think December you were able to start kindergarten. So instead of keeping me in preschool, my parents said, "Okay, I had had a year of preschool. Off to school you go," because I was so excited and eager to get there. Um. So anyway, uh, I then therefore started college when I was seventeen. So I was I was young, and I was also going to school in a different country and um, Canada. There are dear friends up north um, and the culture some might think is, oh, it's just Canada. It's just, you know, the northern United States. It's really not. And uh, Canadians will attest to this. It's it's a different culture. It's a different um, it's it's different. We share a lot of similarities, but I will tell you living in Montreal, uh, French Canada is it's a very different culture. And uh, people ask me, did you go abroad in college? And I say, well, I felt like I was abroad. Um, So. I was in school with really all young people. I mean, I don't know anybody at that time who had uh, children, to answer your question, Ryan. Um, everybody was about that age, was 17, 18. And Are you saying 17 and 18-year-olds can't have babies? No, but having a baby <laughs> and being at McGill was, I don't know how you would do that, yeah. quite frankly. I mean, so my okay. next... So that's your answer. Yeah. So so my answer is because, and again, it'll be interesting to hear what Ryan's college life was like, but for me... I, I went to McGill and McGill is very much in the European sort of school of thought that um, it's very um, it's very self-driven. And I remember very vividly the dean of, of science getting up at the beginning of our college career and saying, look, you know, he held out a bunny hat and he said like a magician would. And he said, you know, um, I'm going to uh, put my hand in this hat. And then he said, who thinks I'm going to get a bunny out of it? And people would raise their hand. And then some people didn't. And he said, and then he took his hand out and he said, well, there's no bunny. And people said, why? And he said, because I didn't put anything in. So his whole point was, if you don't put anything in, you're not getting anything out. And it was very much at McGill sink or swim. Everything you got out of your college career was what you put into it. And there was nobody there to sort of hold your hand. There weren't, I mean, you had an advisor assigned to you, but it was very much, here is your schedule. Good luck to you. We'll see you in four years. And that worked for me because I was a very ambitious, very, um, I loved school. I was super excited to be studying and be there. And I was in science classes, which I was very excited about having, I really loved AP Bio. And I was pretty sure I was moving toward a, a career in medicine. Um, even at that point, I was really, I, I picked human physiology, even my first year that that was what I wanted to pursue. Anyhow, um, so McGill, my point is it was a very, very rigorous environment. And I f- vividly remember, um, pretty much, I mean, a very high percentage of my weekends at McGill were spent studying. And I mean, all weekend. Um, I mean, you would get up on the weekend, you'd have, I'd have breakfast with my roommate. We lived in a dorm the first year and then we lived in, um, in apartments in Montreal, um, for the next three years. And literally we would get up in the morning and have breakfast, maybe watch a little bit of TV. And then that was it. You were showered, you were off to the library or in your, I love to study at home. So, and that was it all day. And then, you know, you'd, you'd eat, you'd do your thing. And at night, yes. I mean, we, we did have somewhat of a college experience. We'd go out, but again, in, in Montreal, drinking age is 18. So we'd go out to the bar or we just, you know, have a drink. And some nights we wouldn't, some nights we would just study um it definitely all weekend all weekend it, particularly around midterms and definitely finals forget it i mean you that was what you did so 
I will, it sounds maybe to some of you out there who are in high school or college, like, oh my God, like what the hell? Or to me. <laughs> or to you. <laughs> but I'll, I will tell you that while I did not have the sort of traditional college experience, and probably in some ways you could say that I missed out on, on some of that, um, you know, meaning the traditional American college experience, American United States uh, college experience, because I wasn't tailgating. I wasn't uh, going to a lot of dorm parties. Um, I mean, I remember sitting in the hallway with friends and doing typical college things in some way, but it was very different. It was just a different, we went clubbing because it's, that's what you did in Montreal. You, it wasn't about having like a big kegger. You would go to the club and like just dance and do stuff. So just different. Anyway, um, I'm going on and on, but I'm reliving my college days. Jeez. Um, so it was just a different life, but my point was it prepared me very, very well for medical school because what did we do every weekend in medical school? Sleep. <laughs> Study. Oh yeah, we did that too. So that was me. So yeah. family life, so none. I, really not. Yeah, yeah. No time. But, um, as a last thing before we switch gears to you, there were definitely students, Quebecois students, uh, who were from Montreal, who were in school there and didn't live. Can, can, you want to translate Quebecois? Quebecois. So students who are from Quebec. Um, Montreal is in, is part of Quebec. It's in the province Quebec. Anyhow, so there were students, and uh, one of whom I knew fairly well, and she lived with her family in Montreal, and uh, and she was a student, and and she would commute. Um, so she had family life in a different way, right? She was still living with her, her family, um, you know, as though, as, as some people do who are commuters in the yeah. States. So she had support. She wasn't supporting. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. She was a little still different. A, she was still a dependent. She was not, uh, yes. Depended she, upon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it was nice in the sense that her food was there. Her laundry was there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I think everybody's pre-med traditional pre-med path will be similar to yours yes the the studying was probably or most likely a lot more rigorous at mcgill compared to where i went at university of florida which is always seems to be ranked as a a, a relatively high party school mcgill probably isn't mcgill's always ranked high academically university of florida is too and yeah, you always hate that. You hate seeing when Florida's ranked as a party school because you know that it's a good academic environment too. It is both. It is both. Yeah. So I I think what ultimately we're 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 both in agreement that pre med a, a traditional pre med path, while not rigorous like medical school, can be hard. And depending on the type of student you are, how much time you need to study for a test, or if you're a good crammer, or whatever it may be, it's going to be hard to raise a child and have a family as a traditional pre-med student. But what about a non-traditional student? So a lot of uh, people that listen to this podcast are non-traditional students, and their, their situation might be a lot different. They might have a family, have a career, and then go, you know what? I'm out of here. I want to go be a doctor and, and follow my my initial dreams and passions and, and go to medical school. And that, again, is another totally different situation because typically, and, and we've heard every, all of these stories of, of people going to night school at a community college to get their pre-med, um, their prereqs, going and and switching gears and going back to undergrad and kind of piecing together a, a do-it-yourself postback or going to a postback 
with children. But I think that's it's different in my mind because there's some sense of stability because you're you're there with a family already. As as a traditional pre-med student, you're you're still a kid. Right, and your priorities are different. So uh your when you're in college for a lot of people it's your first time away from home it's your first time that you it's it's your first time that you can experiment with different things and i don't mean drugs and alcohol <laughs> i don't mean that but i <laughs> i mean well and for 18 year olds who are at mcgill i mean i will tell you i was never a big drinker i just wasn't um but Good to know. but well but i'm just saying a lot of people got there and be like wow there are beer olympics on campus this is awesome i mean if, what are beer olympics Basically, you would all get together. I don't know because I never went. Okay, I was pretty much, uh, you know, I was I was upstairs studying probably. But uh, people would get together on the grass in the middle of campus, um, and they'd have tents up and ice sculptures and big like, um, what are those things called? Oh my god, where you pour alcohol down ice luge? No funnels. Funnels. Yeah. <laughs> Not a big drinker. Um, and people would just go nuts, and they would have games where people would try to win, and it was all about alcohol. But this was campus indoors because this is Canada; it's just different. So, um. so, so the the high school students that are listening, David, you in particular, to ignore everything we're saying. No, no, seriously, ignore <laughs> it. But but I didn't participate in any of it, and you know, it's, so it's, I'm not saying you had to. The point is, though, for some people, when you get to college, your priorities are, oh, I want to have fun. I'm without you know all these young people. I want to, and and part of the the. Um, the real challenge is staying focused in your yeah. classes, right? Now, if you're a non-traditional student and you have a family and you have two children at home or one child and, and you're married and you have significant other and you have a job from nine to five or whatever your hours are, you are going to be no nonsense. Yep. If you're going to be getting your studies done because you're trying to do your prereqs, it is you're a focused. no nonsense. Yes, it is. You yeah. are focused. And that's something back in session 61, which you can listen to at medicalschoolhq.net slash 61. That's something that came out talking to Rebecca, who is a fourth-year medical student now and has uh, three kids, if I remember correctly. But she went through the pre-med path with those kids as well. And she's a, a non-traditional student. And she talks about that, about cutting out basically all the fat in her life, kind of figuratively. And, and focusing on what was the most important to her and only doing those things. So medicalschoolhq.net slash 61, you can hear that, that great story with Rebecca. And I think part of it too, Ryan, is that a lot of people, us included, don't necessarily always appreciate how many hours there are in the day because you think, okay, well- There are a lot. I have such and such time. Let's say you work nine to five like we do now and then you go home. We'll talk about this in a bit, but there really are quite a number of hours at the end of the day. If you really- tackle each of those hours as though they are crucial to getting things done. It's very different than, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I'm busy all day. And then at night, you know, I'm, I'm, I make dinner and I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of time in there. So you mentioned getting things done and this is a book that I've read and I, I know I've suggested it to you to read before and you, you haven't tackled it yet, but I'm actually going to reread it here pretty soon. So maybe we'll read it together. If you're listening to this and you're, you're wondering how can I get better at juggling all of these commitments and, and everything that I have to do, go read the book Getting Things Done by David Allen. Uh, as we're recording this, it's October 2014. He's actually coming out with his second edition. This is a book that's been around for 15 or 20 years. And he's coming out with a second edition in... No, it's been around 10 years. 
Anyway, he's, he's coming out with a second edition in March of 2015. So if you're listening to this around then, hopefully you get the second edition. But I wouldn't delay it. Get it now. Read it. It's, it's a relatively easy read. But it's an, it's an awesome book about changing your thinking and, and giving you some tips and tricks on how to prioritize everything in your life. Yeah, that's great advice. And I do need to read that book. One other thing I'll just mention too, uh, before we move on to the med school years, is that part of what's important, I think, is is looking carefully at what a, your program is going to be like. So let's say you're in high school and you're thinking about college and you're looking through some of the course syllabi that a school offers. And let's say you have an interest maybe in, in physiology or biochemistry or something science, human science related. Take a look at what, because oftentimes the, or all the time, the colleges will show you what does a freshman year, what does a sophomore year, what does a junior year, senior year look like, and you can get a feel for it. So at McGill, for example, it was all science. And that was part of what made it challenging. It was, uh, inter- I mean, I was taking in my junior year, you know, physiology, intermediate uh, level physiology. I was taking integrative neuroscience. I was taking courses that were really rigorous and intense. And as I've said in other episodes, I did not have to take any English if I didn't want to. I sort of insisted upon it for myself. I wanted. I took a history course. I took English because I didn't want to forget how to speak English or write in English. <laughs> but um, that was part of why I had such sort of lack of balance in my life, I think, because it was so much science and so many rigorous courses just back to back to back. And uh, so I think that's something just to make note of. Now, if you're a non-traditional student and you're trying to pack all those in and get them done, one of the things that people do to try to deal with some of that back-to-backness, because that's what you're kind of faced with if you're doing a job nine to five and then you need to bang out those prereqs. But one of the things Ryan and I get asked a lot is, well, can I just do one class here and then next semester I'll do one class? And then, and part of the tricky thing about that is that, again, don't forget as a pre-med, you need to show medical schools that you can handle multiple rigorous classes in the same semester. Because fast forward to medical school, it's drinking from the fire hose. You're going to be doing just studying, taking in information at light warp, light speed. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> You're the Trekkie. You should I know, know this. I know. Oh, Sheldon from Big Bang would be disappointed. Um, anyhow, so yeah. it's it's just something else to sort of think about that. Uh, it's hard. Balance is always hard. I think at every stage of your life, it's it's all relative, whatever you're dealing with. But mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to find balance is is really important. Yeah. All right. So that's the pre-med path. And, and, Probably the the least relevant, and, and I dare say that because there are plenty of pre-meds out there with children, but prob- probably more significant is the medical school years when people are starting to decide to have families as, as a student in medical school. They, they, they want to... I don't. I, again, I dare say, get it over with. But they want to have babies before they start residency oh, because geez. then it's a totally different uh, beast, yeah. and we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But we went to school, and and several of our our med student friends and classmates had children. So mm-hmm. it's it's not against. Um, it's not impossible. It's not impossible to have children, and. What I want to and, talk about... And be a med student. And be a... Yes, it's not impossible to have children <laughs> and be a med student. But there's probably an, a, an underlying theme that will, that, that will continue on from pre-med to, through, through residency and fellowship and, and attending, and that's support, I think, is, is huge, and, and we can't uh, 
underestimate that part of it. The the students that we knew, the classmates that we knew with children had amazing family support from from their spouses and, and family and other other people. So but you'd mentioned and, and each other and, too. And each other yeah. student wise. Yeah, I don't know if you I don't know if you remember that. Sorry to interrupt you, right, but uh, I don't know if you remember the the there was sort of um almost a little not a barrier but there was a difference between the students uh, the sort of traditional med students who were coming in who uh, were single or maybe in a relationship but but weren't settled down in any way and then those who did have families and and I noticed and they used to get together and they they really bonded over the fact that they were all in this together sort of they were med students who had families and children and their significant others and um, everybody would get together and, and be at these picnics and other events we would have. And it was cool. They would show up with all their kids, but you could just tell that they sort of, they were really, they, they were very um, much sort of a, a tribe, if you will. They really, their own little clique. Yeah. Well, and, and rightly so, because they were dealing with um, things that we had no comprehension of. And, yeah. and they, as I said before, I mean, I think even more so now it was just focus, focus, focus. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember asking one of our, um, acquaintances in med school, one of our other classmates about how she did it all. And she would say that her husband would just take the kids and and she would just go to the library and study. And that was what they did. Um, but anyhow, we'll talk more about it, but I definitely, I just remember that. So some of you out there who might think, Oh, I have kids, you know, if I go to med school, is it going to be all like 23 and 24 year olds who can't relate to me at all? I survey says there will probably be. Survey says. What? (laughs) (laughs) There will probably be other, and find that out when you interview, when you look into schools, but there will probably be other students out there who are older and have families and and are in the same boat you are. Yeah, definitely. So lifestyle in medical school. You had mentioned drinking from a fire hose. Mm -hmm. Med school is not easy. Mm -mm. So think of your pre-med years if, if you're, if you've gone through them already or in the middle of them and multiply it by, by a factor of what? What would you multiply it by? Oh, a thousand. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, again, it all depends on your, yeah. your, what your, your preparation is. For somebody like you who went to McGill, it was probably even. Well, I, in the sense that I was used to studying every week, <laughs> yeah. and no joke, it was. But it's not, it's not so much that. It's, again, it's the speed and the amount of information that you're being asked, required to learn yeah. is, is, again, very, very fast. It's yeah. just different than anything else. And it, it, it also is a huge change in lifestyle and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So again, we always talk about the typical curriculum at a, at a medical school is two years of classwork and then two years of rotations at the hospital. So non-clinical and then clinical years. And those clinical years are going to be nothing like you've ever done before. So when I did my surgery rotation, you're there before the sun comes up and you leave after the sun comes down. If I had a child at that point, that child probably would be sleeping when I left and would be sleeping when I got home. Mm-hmm. And you better have the support, and, and I hope you do, to to handle that because it's stressful. And it's not just stressful for you because you're missing your child. It's stressful for your spouse who's taking care of that child and feeling abandoned while you're off lollygagging in the hospital. Hopefully not. I mean, yeah, but, 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 but yeah, those no, are... it, could, it could be. It absolutely could be. I mean, and we didn't go through that at that time. So, um, but but yeah, I think, as you said, whether it's your spouse, your significant other, whether it's a, a parent, whether it's a grandparent, uh, somebody who can, who can watch your child. Uh, you know, 
honestly, even in the first two years for most traditional medical school class uh, classes, you'll be you'll be studying so many hours. It's probably easier in that you know you can study and then your break is going to see your baby or you know your 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 toddler, or ho- however old your children are, maybe they're even older. Uh, going to spend a little time with them, have dinner with them, and then you go right back to studying. But as Ryan was talking about, once you get to the ward years, you're you're in the hospital, and it's unless you live, I mean right down the street or something and you can sometimes you don't even have that luxury honestly but 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 some rotations some rotations there's a pager on your hip oh there is uh absolutely but some rotations you might be able to get away for a little bit just to run home and or run over uh grab something oh you mean like go shopping during your dermatology rotation hey hey that's that was during residency sorry and you know what that was internship and that was an elective and don't you start (laughs) (laughs) that was different we'll get there um, elective is an interesting thing. We should talk about that because that's in, in med school that that is an important piece of this. But definitely, so third year is probably the most challenging, I would say, um, for for all of us because remember that when you're in your first and second year, yes, you have class, you have problem solving sessions, uh, you study for the majority of the time, almost all of the time, but you have a lot more control over your schedule and and how. Not, you know, for example, not every medical school requires you to go to the classes and some you can sort of um, go and just study, study the material yourself if that works better for you. Every med school is a little bit different. Uh, you do not have the luxury of owning your time when you're a third year for the most part. Yeah. And so if you're on your surgery rotation, you have to be there before God and then you're leaving uh, at the very end of the day when the sun is down. Remember, it doesn't end there. Right. So you go home and then you pick up your books again because you need to be prepared for the case tomorrow. You need to be prepared. You need to read what you saw today, read about what you saw today so that when somebody's studying for the shelf exams, there's studying for everything, Um, you know, knowing what you're learning on a daily basis. And yes, you always have to be preparing for the shelf because there are things you won't see. And that shelf is waiting at the end of uh, it's also it's called something different in DO schools. It's the the shelves and I forget shelves. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's it's a lot, and I I have so much admiration and respect for those uh, classmates of ours who had families during that time and were able to power through. And uh, I would imagine maybe if your kids are younger, like when they're infants, uh, they it might be easier. Maybe, although I don't know. I'm just thinking because it might be harder to get away from like your six-year-old versus your six-month-old. But I think it's probably hard anytime. I think I would have a very, I, w- I would think I would have struggled with that. It's uh, family is really important to me and, and a lot of us, obviously. So you have to have a lot of emotional and I think just a lot of strength in general to be able to power through all that and, and um, know that your children are, are going to be fine if you're really, really busy and that you'll be back. <laughs> Uh-huh. These are all new emotions for you. Well, sure, because I haven't been a parent that long, but yeah. I can now sort of start to relate, at least thinking about it, walking, trying yeah. to walk in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah, so so medical school, I think, is it's a beast, but we saw plenty of people do it, again, with support. It's it's going to be something where you're going to need support, with, whether it's a babysitter that that is living with you a, a full-time nanny while you're doing rotations. If you don't have a, a significant other or family member nearby to help, but it's doable. Uh, but but be, plan be prepared. ahead. Yeah, yeah. Plan ahead. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 
Let's talk about residency. Well, and don't forget fourth year, though, because fourth year is very different. Fourth year is different, but... No, but I think yeah. it's important for people to know, right? Yeah. That there's a lot of traveling for residency applications, yeah. and then you have... You do have elective time, mm-hmm. so that's a chance that you can actually kind of... Some people plan to have babies around that time. Yeah, absolutely. Some people plan to get married in fourth year. Um, it's a big time to sort of check off those family things, those life, those uh, life rites of passage, those moments, those... Yeah, that you wanted that you want to tackle. So um, a lot. I think a lot of our friends got married in fourth year. Uh, we were just at a wedding this last weekend for one of our friends, and two of them got married in fourth year. <laughs> so um, it's it's an exciting time, and it is a break. It is a break for a lot of people because you have you're a part of a big part of that year is applying for residency. So you do have gaps and breaks where you you can have more time with your family, and that's a sort of a light at the end of the tunnel for once you've you've been in this craziness of third year so just just to throw that in there i think it's important yep which is why a lot of schools and and there's a lot of uh, thinking out there that fourth year is a waste of time and we should cut it out well and some schools are trying it true and there are a couple other podcast episodes where you talk about that with with folks lots of people yeah all right you want to talk about residency now residency so it's funny because you just uh, we just finished talking about how medical school is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> Residency is even a bigger beast. It's so funny, though, because when you look back, I mean, I just remember so vividly at the time. I think I've said vividly like three times in this podcast already. Sorry, but it's it's true. I mean, I look back and I just they remember these things so well. In college, I remember thinking this is the most insane time in my life. <laughs> the most insane. I was studying so much. It was so busy. And then and I was in another country and it was just crazy. And then I'm in med school. And I'm like, this is the most crazy. Like the most crazy how could anything get more crazy i'm studying all the time i'm learning so much there's so much information and then you get to residency and ha 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 ha. (laughs) so um yeah so there's this thing called interneer which many of you have heard about and and by the way i should put it i should first say that i look back on residency with great fondness it was the most insane time in my life it was also the most crazy time in my life by far i think will always be and many 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 physicians Many physicians, if you ask them, will tell you that residency was the most crazy time in their lives. Which, if you're a medical student or a pre-med student thinking about medicine, don't ask a resident if you should be a physician. (laughs) Well, and some people might say, oh, yeah, it's amazing. But (laughs) I think, again, you're going to be asking that question of a human being who is A, very sleep deprived, B, Food deprived. Dehydrated. <laughs> Dehydrated. Probably Stressed. a little bit of renal failure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They've actually done studies on that. It's scary. Um, and very stressed. And and the, what's the difference? So the difference is that you're still acquiring information at lightning speed. You're learning so much. But what we've talked about before in other, other uh, episodes is that you're learning how to be a doctor. Medical school prepares you for, uh, for the sort of what it is to be a doctor. It teaches you about what it is to be a doctor. It teaches you the foundation of knowledge you need to practice uh, to be a physician. But actually the learning how to become, how to, to practice medicine, learning to be a doctor uh, is not something that you learn until residency. And so it's just a different kind of beast. Yeah. So let's talk about work hours. Mm -hmm. So for, Man, how long have we been out? Well, the, the eighty-hour the eighty-hour work week started right before we started internship mm-hmm. and residency. So this was around two thousand nine, two thousand eight, two thousand seven, somewhere around there. They implemented an eighty-hour work week regulation, 
And that means, it doesn't mean that you're only working 80 hours a week. It means you're working on average 80 hours a week over, I think it's the four-week period. And so that means one week you could be working 100 hours in a week. That doesn't leave much time for much else if you're planning on sleeping a little bit. Yep. And and so again, it just it takes everything to the next level as far as commitments uh, of your time and how you're dividing up your time. So obviously, we need to eat, and and a lot of people don't don't uh, factor in the time that it takes to prepare food and eat and everything else, and that could be quality time with your family. Uh, or, or it could be running through the cafeteria line at the hospital. But you have to eat. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to shower. You have to sleep. You have right, to- at, at least a bare minimum because you will become clinically insane if yeah. you're up a certain number of hours. Yeah. You have to obviously work the the certain number of hours that you need to work. And then the rest is... Alone time, family time, whatever else time there is. And board review. You have to study. There, Ho- and, hopefully you're exercising. Well, and and there are in uh, what we call in-service uh, training examinations. So like when I was in residency, it was called the right, the residency in-service training exam. And so these are yearly exams that you do have to study for and prepare for. And they're in, in preparation for your board exams when you, after you complete residency and you go for, and you sit for your boards. So there's there's always something there that can take time. And by the way, I looked up and at least this reference is saying that the 80-hour rule was instituted in 03. So maybe even oh, wow. a little before we yeah. thought, yeah. But it is averaged over four weeks. Uh, it's it's 80 hours of weekly limit. You're supposed to have a certain number of rest, uh, hours of rest mm-hmm. after uh, each in-house call. And uh, another key thing in my residency that was a big deal is that, and, and it's true, it was true all over the country that you could work 24 hours. And then there were six additional hours that you could work uh, in which there would be basically a transfer of duties. So that, that was non-direct patient care. Right. right. So that's intended, intended to be. So let's say you started a shift at 6am. That meant that by 6am you were done with your clinical duties the following day. I mean, done with your clinical duties, but you had until 12 p.m., another six hours, which was taken up by transferring duties. And that means uh, presenting at rounds and uh, where you would uh, basically talk about your admissions and, and patients you took care of overnight and present them to your attending and, and the other residents. Finish notes and check Finish labs. Finish notes, and- exactly. All of your charting, everything. Um, but it's not always that perfect. And sometimes there are emergency situations and sometimes you're... How, how many How many times did you fudge your hours just oh, so geez, you're, you didn't get, get your program in trouble? Well, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But the... Um, I mean, really, so you're talking though, right? That's So 24 plus 6 is 30. So it was a 30 hour shift. Okay. And sometimes I would be there 32 hours, 34 hours. Um, and and sometimes you would stay longer so you could sleep before you drove home. Yep. Sometimes I was so tired that I would go back to the call room and take a nap. Um, I mean, there were many nights in residency that the thought of even entering a call room was, was not even a question. I mean, there was no way I was ever going to see the call room. And part of that was that I was call room, meaning a place to sleep, a place to sleep, a place to sit, a place to eat, sleep, et cetera. And part of that was because, um, you know, so in my, my junior year of residency was actually far more intense than my internship ever was. And it was my first year of neurology residency um, because I did my medicine internship for a year and then I had three years of neurology residency. And so as a junior resident running around 24 hour, really 30 hour shift plus, um, I was seeing 
uh, consults in the emergency room. I was helping admit patients upstairs. I was responding to emergencies and um, running all over the hospital and and the emergency room, the ICUs. It was really, really busy. And did you know any residents with children? I did. And so what's amazing is, I mean, that that was the most challenging year of my life. It it was uh, physically exhausting, you know, psychologically, emotionally taxing just in every way. And I look back on it with with a lot of fondness because it, it made me so much stronger as an individual. And, and I take great pride in that and and powering through all that. But I I mean, I did I did go through some dark times during that year, part of because part of the reason because I was living away from you and we, that was my first year. You meaning me. Yes. Not you listening. No, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I was living away from all of you. Um, I was, Ryan and I had, uh, were separated by geography that year because it was his first assignment. Um, and he was in Dover in Delaware and I was, uh, a very busy junior resident up in Boston. And it was very, very hard because as Ryan's been saying, that support that you want and need so much, even for yourself, never mind for your family and for children, um, is, is so important. And I, I was actually living with my parents cause we didn't want to pay for rent in one place and then have your apartment in another place. It just seems silly. And my parents are, are living in Brookline. So I, I lived with them, which was weird <laughs> as a married person, but I uh, did what we had to, but it was, I was really, really blue. I mean, yeah. it was, a, it was a hard, hard time. And so and then I think, well, I had a hard enough time taking care of myself, mm-hmm. even living with my parents. I mean, people might be like, oh, my God, why is she complaining? <laughs> but um, it really just more emotionally, it was just hard. Um, but uh, then I think about, yes, there were friends who had and continue to had had children even during that year as a junior resident. So they were getting pregnant as yep. junior residents. So um, one woman I know, she was running around doing that job that I spoke about as junior as a junior resident. Uh, you know, she was seven months pregnant doing that. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable. And then yes, went on to have her baby and had her baby as a junior resident. And yes, you do get some time and you'll get all your vacation time to, uh, as your maternity leave. And, uh, but I mean, just even things like, um, taking care of all the things you need to do if you want to be a breastfeeding mom, Mm. um, and pumping milk and how to do that. I mean, you're trying to respond to a stroke page and you're hooked up to a pump and you're, I mean, (laughs) did you, did you ever have conversations (laughs) with her about how stressful and hard or whatever it was? I haven't. I have talked to a good friend who, uh, had a baby at the, in her third year of neurology residency. So it was her, her fourth year total, her last year of residency. And she talked about how challenging it was to, uh, and that's the easiest year. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's, it's, well, I mean, it's every year. Yeah. I I don't know that there was an easy year really (laughs) in my internship. What was easy, the the easiest time in my entire residency was that one month of Durham elective as an intern where I was. Where you went shopping. Yeah. There was one day. Oh my goodness. I'll never live it down where I actually, they told me I could go and, you know, just kind of hang out and wait for consults. And it was a light day, but that's very exceedingly rare. And that never happened once I went into my neurology residency. My God. Um, But the point is my friend, uh, she, yes, she had a baby in the last year of our residency and uh, even then, I mean, I she talked about how it was really challenging to keep up with with um, breastfeeding and doing everything that she really wanted so desperately to do as a mom, while also trying to balance these commitments, these major commitments that she had. And that's the other thing that changes, right? So when you go from being a medical student to being an intern, being a resident, you have true responsibility for patient for patients in their lives, and. So part of why I wanted to wait until I had completed my residency to have a child is that me personally, I just, um, I think I am someone who tends to sort of put my needs last. I tend to sort of, um, and that's part of 
why the way, a part of by the way, why it took so long for, for my Crohn's diagnosis to be made because I was rushing around taking care of my patients and I was just so not in touch with sort of what was going on with me physically. I was too busy, quite frankly. And and we talked about that a lot or I talked about that a lot with Dr. Drummond about mm-hmm. burnout. And, yep. and we are e- either taught or that's just our personality in general, the, the physician's personality in general to put others before ourselves. Right. And so the thing is, if you have a child at home, um, you don't really have the luxury of, of putting, I mean, I guess you can put your patients first if you know somebody is there taking care of, of your child. But I just didn't, I, I didn't think I had it in me, honestly, to, to try to figure out how to do that. And um, so I have such enormous respect for my colleagues and friends out there who have had children during residency and, and it absolutely can be done. I mean, um, there, if there are people who used to say, well, I'll take my elective to have my baby or I'll take my elective mm-hmm. as my maternity leave. And that happens. People do that. People, um, wait until they finish residency and then spend, you know, part of their fellowship, um, having, uh, you know, doing their maternity leave or paternity leave. Um, we shouldn't leave out paternity leave by the way, too. And I, it's very important. And, and a lot of residency programs do give paternity leave as well for a couple of weeks, just as they do in a lot of, um, you know, in attending jobs and, and throughout, the states a lot of a lot of places do provide uh, paternity leave but um and and a lot of my friends in my class in residency the guys they uh, their wives had children their significant others uh they had children but i just it was a tough thing um none of my class none of the women in my class had kids uh and i think we just a lot of us shared the same concerns that it's just tough it's tough you know yeah all right so again doable but hard you need the support you need support more than any other stage, I think, in your medical training. You need your, support. Your your time commitment will be the greatest during residency Absolutely. versus medical school and and pre med. And and again, it's that responsibility. As a med student, you are you're responsible, but you're really not in a way because you're you're uh, helping in major ways and contributing hugely to the team. But it's not your it's not your name on the line. It's not your, you're not the person ultimately responsible for that patient. And, and even you could argue as a resident, well, it's the attending, but you have a very real responsibility um, day to day, moment to moment as a resident. Um, like you said, you carry that pager. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a key difference. So doable, doable. And if you're out there and you already have kids and you're thinking, oh my goodness, they're freaking me out. Don't be freaked out because we, at every single stage of our careers, we have seen people um, who are having children, about to have children, already have children who have successfully done this and, and it is absolutely doable. It's just, I think as we've we've been saying now a few times, it's planning, planning, planning. Figure out beforehand what you're aiming to do and, and what you're going to be, um, who these people are that can help you yeah. at, at every stage. So- in in the question that Thomas asked, he asked, is there any one specialty that is more lax or family friendly than another? And I think that's how we'll tackle more of the attending side of the 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 question and and the story. And and there are there are specialties that are a little bit more lax and and require a little bit less of your time. And and I think that's something that a lot of people think about and, and something we've talked about when when you're choosing a specialty is think about the lifestyle that you want to have. Do you want to be on call all the time and and need to rush into a hospital to to perform surgery or to to uh, do a stroke protocol or do whatever it may be that you're being called into the hospital for and and be pulled away from family possibly. And so 
I, I actually pulled up Medscape. We've talked about Medscape before. They have a physician lifestyle report from 2014 that was published in January. And, and the two most obvious ones on here, ophthalmology and dermatology, are the highest um, reported happiness, uh, the scales of happiness at home and at work for 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 the ophthalmologists and dermatologists almost uh, 70% of them are happy at work very happy at work and so that that kind of makes sense right they're they're typically uh office based jobs they do do surgeries ophthalmologists do but they're still practicing in Derm an too. office yeah, yeah. yeah dermatology will do do procedures as well but they're practicing in an office they're probably not taking call um, a, a, there, there are ophthalmologists that take call, but they don't usually have to come into the hospital. They, they find a way they don't have to. Yeah. It's always hard getting an ophthalmologist to come to the ER. I'll yeah. tell you <laughs> because there, there are very few, obviously there are ocular injuries that an ophthalmologist is going to come in and need to see, but the, the lifestyles that you're going to see are the ones where you don't have to go into the hospital, be called in at a moment's notice. Right, like an endocrinologist. I mean, there are a few endocrine sort of emergencies. There are some, but but sort of an, emer an endocrine emergency would be like um, diabetic ketoacidosis. That's a situation where a diabetic, their blood sugar is through the roof and it's very, very dangerous um, But uh, and it's life-threatening. But that's something that a medicine, an internist, a, a a uh, trained medical doctor um, who has um, a found, you know, like a, a foundation of internal medicine can can do can handle. Yeah. So there, there, there's a whole gamut of specialties. Obviously, we we've talked about a lot of them before, but that's where the happiness is going to come in, and and the family friendly side of the house is going to come in. Is are you practicing in a hospital? Are you in a clinic uh, practice? What is your call responsibility? Uh, are you carrying a pager that can, are, are you going to have to be called in at a moment's notice and so that's that's really the ultimate the questions there well but are you saying then that you can't be happy as a physician unless you have that kind of lifestyle no not at all i'm saying the question is which one are the family friendly ones mm, and so a lot of people okay. will judge that based on yes that's being true. with family and also being stressed that they have a pager on their hip and is it going to go off? Sure. Are, they, are they having the, the phantom paging phantom <laughs> feeling and they're like, oh, is my pager going off? Oh, is it going off? I remember, actually, that's just funny. Remember we were in um, a drugstore, this is like a year ago now, mm -hmm. and, and a pager went off and I was like, oh my God. And I looked down at my, my pants and I was like, where's my pager? And I wasn't even on call. My pager was somewhere else. It was signed out to someone, but it was a pediatrician in line behind us whose pager was going off and like oh ptsd pager <laughs> um but i think one other thing so you know some of you out there i know are interested in emergency medicine and some people really like that because mm -hmm. it's shift work, shift work right and so you oh. know exactly when you're going to be there you know exactly when you're going to be going home but and, shift work is stressful in but, of itself right so shift work and it, that's the thing that you know they have these personality tests and actually in medical school they offer those to try to help you figure out what type of uh, specialty you want to go into but I encourage you to really um, try to really get to know yourself well and figure out what what makes you happy because some people are going to love that that adrenaline rush and, and being the one that can get called in and, and know that, okay, well, these days of the week, I have protected time with my family, but these days I am absolutely there to you know practice and, and that's my, my focus and everything. The burnout sometimes can be just that kind of work and an ER can be very, very physically, emotionally, psychologically... Uh, 
very taxing and, and very stressful. But uh, I think, and then the, there are things like home call. So some, that's something else to, to really understand that certain specialties have by nature, their in-house call. Um, and then others are home calls. So you might be called from home to urgently come in. And, and also it really depends on where you are in the country. So if you're in a very rural area and you're the only doctor around, well, it's a very different life than if you're in a major city and there are 25 or 30 physicians in your department alone and you share a call schedule. Uh, it can be just completely, you know, night and day. Maybe like in my special, in my uh, specialty neurology, maybe you're at a hospital where you're a neurologist on call, but you're not going to get called for strokes because they have a stroke specialist who gets called. So there are so many intricacies and things to think about. There's, that- there's another big one that that I thought you were going to hit on is mm-hmm. is do you have the support of residents? Oh, 100%. Yes. And that's something that I learned about recently as an attending that I, I came from a system where I was obviously in residency and so had a very team-based uh team, well, a team, (laughs) we had a team. And then as an attending, I found that, oh, it's just me. And how different is that? And so my team- There's still a team with nurses and other people. No, no, no. But, and I don't mean that at all. I I mean, there's always absolutely in healthcare, you always have a team. You can't get, and I say this all the time, you really can't get anything done in medicine um, and surgery without a team, a hundred percent. What I'm really meaning is, is sort of the team of doctors working together. uh, Because when you're in residency, depending on the program, I know in mine, you would go out as a team and, and there would be uh, someone who was handling consults maybe in the ER and someone who was handling consults in the floors and partly because they're just such big hospitals that we were at. But uh, maybe you'd have th- several residents and an intern and some med students and then an attending. And then, yes, all the rest of um, the, the team, the healthcare providers you're working with. But shrink that down to one. And sometimes that's the case. If you're the consultant and you're the only person, everything is going to come to you. And that can be very challenging. It's it's um, a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of responsibility, but but nobody to also share the the exciting parts with. Let me tell you, if you have a really cool case and you look around and <laughs> everybody around you is like an ER doctor, an ophthalmologist, they don't they care about really your neurology. They really don't care about how you localized a lesion or how you how you figured out what was going You're such on. Such a nerd. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, it, I, you could say that for anybody. If you're an orthopod and you have this really cool case and you turn around and a bunch of neurologists you don't know what the hell you're talking about or really yeah. don't care. Um, So, but it's, uh, I think the major point is when it gets about your question, um, it, it, it really, it behooves you to learn as much as you can about a particular specialty and about where you might be interested in practicing that, practicing that specialty before you sort of rule it out or decide against it. Because, um, in terms of lifestyle, if you look at it simply as, okay, well, when am I going to be least in the hospital? Then that's a pretty straightforward answer. But Mm -hmm. the happiness is is determined by a lot of factors and, And us as, as physicians, we're, we're all different and we all have different needs and different things that kind of make us you know happy and, and fulfilled in life. And so that's why the, the, the most important thing is figuring out what's going to make you happy. Yeah. And that goes to his question, how do you balance such an incredible workload with family life? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so dependent on each person. Mm-hmm. I myself like to be alone and, and decompress. And Allison loves spending time with family to decompress. And going running. I like and, and exercise. We, we can't stress the importance of exercise and sleep as much as you can. So there's there's a ton of stuff to, to help balance. Now, he also asked, have you had any struggles with this? 
Wow. And sure. I Run, mean, running is one of those struggles, right? Finding time to exercise, finding time to exercise, making sure finding time to really uh, prepare food and, and plan in advance about how. And that seems like a silly thing that you should have figured out when you're 20. But it's yeah. it's not. It's you shouldn't be um, coming home every night saying what's for dinner. What's right. For dinner? And we ha- many times <laughs> have run into and we'll have periods where and we still do now. We did before our baby that we'll have times where we're great and we have everything, every meal, every lunch, every dinner where we're, we have planned out and we're, we have Tupperwares and we're so proud of ourselves. And then there are nights where for a week we're like, ah, oh, where are we shoot. ordering from? <laughs> yeah. Like which takeout place tonight? And that's never good for you. And it makes you feel kind of crummy, Tastes but, delicious, but you know what? And Ryan and I've been talking about this. Once your child gets to a certain age, you, they they rely on you to feed them uh, food, real food, right? So, um, and, and I mean like chicken and fish and stuff like that that you, you know, so the idea of, oh, let's get takeout every night for our baby. No, 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 right? So then then it's a matter of, um, at least in my mind, and every parent out there is different, but, um, and I, so I'm not trying to sound judgy or anything, but I just mean when, when our child's old enough, it's going to be important to me that we Try to prepare a wholesome meal and blah blah blah. So again, it's that planning, that that thinking ahead that Ryan always tries to drum into my head, and um, I'm not always the best at it. Um, but it's it's important, and and yeah. it's uh, so yes, I think there are challenges at every single phase. But um, and as an attending, you're dealing with what we didn't mention too is the last point in my mind. You're, you're dealing with other things that as a resident you haven't really, which are things like billing and making sure that all of your notes, your clinic notes are, are done and making sure that all of your, your orders are in and you've talked to the insurance companies and you've answered all your patient emails and phone calls and everything else. There are just a, a lot of different sort of different administrative yeah. things. Yeah. That you're dealing with, um, maybe your teaching duties, you know, when I was, I would be teaching a medical student when I was. Um, in the hospital working as an attending and have to make sure that they got what they needed. So at every stage, there are just uh, different things. And and so, um, yes, we've had challenges with it, but um, yeah. I think you, you got to love what you're doing because you'll, you'll find ways to just uh, give it all when you're at work and then be able to give as much as you can at home with your family, give it all there, there too. If you're not happy, if you're not fulfilled, then that's not going to be as easy. Yeah. So Thomas, I I hope this podcast and and our our discussion tonight answers those questions for you. And I know it's an important uh, an important discussion for many people out there that are are interested in medicine, but don't think that it will allow them to have the family that they want. And it's it's not true. It's hard work, but you can have both. This is probably our longest podcast, but really? it's an important topic. Yeah, we're almost at an hour long. So hopefully, you're still listening to us. <laughs> Next week is session 100, and Allison and I will be talking about some stories that that you have emailed into us. We got several stories from from listeners like you about their struggles along the way, and 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 possibly how our podcast has helped them, and and what they did to overcome those struggles. Because believe it or not, your struggles are likely not unique. There is somebody else out there going through something similar and hearing what other people are going through and what they did to survive will help you as well. And that's what we hope to do in next week, next week's pod, next week's podcast. Yeah. I got to so, break open some champagne too. Maybe have some bubbly. Episode 100. Part of why we do this 
is is knowing that we're reaching people. And we get emails all the time, and we get reviews. And we just hit uh, 208 five-star reviews and ratings in iTunes for the U.S., and seven in Canada now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And... If you haven't yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. It takes literally two minutes to go in and leave a rating and review. And it it just brightens our day, Allison, and I will say, oh, did you see that review that came in? Because we get an email from from it when we get it. And it's just amazing. So I, I want to thank the a couple more people here that left us reviews, five-star reviews here. Uh, Germex something something <laughs> says, a guiding light. I've been listening to this podcast for the past year, and it has done so much for me. I am more confident, less confused, and more motivated to conquer my dreams. Thank you so much. That's awesome. That's yeah, exactly what you. we do, what we do. Absolutely. Not an Angry Bird says 10 out of 10 would recommend. That's awesome. I love that name. Not an Angry Bird. Yes. And thank yeah. you for that review. Is that copyright infringement? I don't think so. No. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. East, East Coast Pre-Med says, awesome podcast. I love listening every week. That's from uh, one of our Canadian friends up north. Yay. Uh, maybe it's from Quebecois. No, maybe it's from Quebec. <laughs> What's Quebecois then? <laughs> Quebecois is, a, is someone who is from Quebec. Oh, okay. Now I get it. <laughs> M. Clark. I need to take Ryan up to Montreal. Yeah. I will. He needs to visit. M. Clark 1988 says, helpful. Great podcast. Uh, would be nice if there was more Canadian information, but otherwise, yes, and, awesome. And we need to just say very briefly that we we are working very hard to try to really bring that information to you um, in an updated way. So we we have not forgotten that request. We've had that request a couple times, and we are really trying to uh, get that together for you guys. So keep keep uh, keep your eyes open or keep yeah. your ears ears peeled, eyes peeled, eyes peeled, <laughs> ears open, eyes peeled, eyes open. Either way. So those four five-star reviews, awesome. Thank you. MedicalSchoolHQ.net slash iTunes to leave a review. If you haven't subscribed yet, like I mentioned before, in iTunes, in Stitcher, in SoundCloud, you'll get this podcast delivered free to your player of choice every week as we release them. Go to your, your player of choice, click that subscribe button, and you will get it. What else do you have, Allison? A parting word of wisdom? Parting word of wisdom. Well, uh, I guess, actually, so episode 100 comes out before Halloween. I was going to say have a safe and happy Halloween, but I'm like way too early. It's only the beginning of October-ish. <laughs> no, I, I'll just say my my parting advice is good luck to you, whatever stage you're at on your, um, medical, your pre-med medical school residency journey toward becoming a physician. And uh, keep plugging. Yeah. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. 